You are Locked On Padres. Your daily San Diego Padres podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Lockdown Padres Podcast, which is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day for Tuesday, March 7th. As always, I am your host with sometimes, occasionally, but certainly not always the most, Javier Reyes. You might be familiar with some of my baseball writing work over at Just Baseball. You can check that out for sure. Um, or you might be familiar with my comic book and Padres dumb memes and stuff over at Javapeno, which you can follow at J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O on Twitter, obviously. And then at L-O underscore Padres if you only want Padres content. Love tweeting from over there. Officially blocked by Eric Hosmer over at at LO underscore Padres. Not for my main account, unfortunately, which is usually the account that I've actually slandered him more on. So that was weird. But uh, go check that out. And of course, go check out the YouTube if you want to see whatever... I'm wearing shirt-wise. I'm not rocking anything interesting today. I will get back to that tomorrow. But you can definitely see my buddy Tatis Bobblehead. Link to the description of that uh, in the podcast below. And as always, thank you for making Lockdown Potties your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. Today's a fun one, ladies and gentlemen. Today's episode is about the bad, right? We're doing a little bit of complaining. We're not even, not even complaining. I shouldn't say complaining. We're doing something even better. We're fear-mongering. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. On today's episode, we are talking about my five biggest fears for this 2023 Padres season. What are the five things that concern me that if, at the moment, if someone told me, uh, came from the future and told me, hey, the Padres were bad this year, can you guess why? Uh, These are kind of the five things that I would come up with, right? And these are the kind of things that I fear the most for this team. It's not necessarily fear to the degree that I'm going to predict them to happen. It's just some questions I have. And for the most part, I don't think that there's too much that's scary about this team. I think that, to be quite honest, the most obvious thing is just overall competition. The fact that I think the NLS is going to be very dangerous. That's kind of a bonus fear of mine, I guess, that I'm letting off the hook early. Uh, it's just the overall, just the quality of the NLS. I think the Giants could be solid, not great. And they're not going to be anywhere near the Padres, I think, in terms of talent and strength. But they're solid. I think the Diamondbacks have a lot of interesting prospects with Corbin Carroll leading the charge. And you've got the Dodgers, of course, who people are pushing aside a little bit too much just because they had a quiet offseason. But that's what I want to talk about in today's episode, ladies and gentlemen. So let's get started. My first one that I want to discuss is a fun one. Oh, it's a good one. And it's been one that I've been talking about for way too long. Uh, like basically since I've been hosting this podcast, there's been Manny Machado, there's been Fernando Tatis, there's been maybe let's say who else has been a a common player for as long as I've been hosting this podcast. Yeah, I know, right? It's hard for me to think about it because there's been so much turnaround on this roster. Maybe Grisham and then maybe Cronenworth. The fifth guy that I've probably discussed the most on this podcast is a prospect and his name is Luis Campizano. One of my fears for the season is, what if Luis Campuzano is just bad? What if he's just bad? What if all this time, the reason he hasn't gotten much of a shot is because Padres Brass was like, this isn't any good. This guy isn't a good defender, and we think that his stats aren't going to translate to the majors. Yes, they look good in the minors. This is a guy who's slugged above 500 before. He hits for power. He's really solid there. Great. But what if there's a reason that they were like, yes, we want to start Austin Nola, who can't hit worth a lick, 
although shouts to the playoffs. He was great there. Shouts to him there. He's not necessarily an all-star defensively, not as good as Austin Hedges was once upon a time. And Austin Hedges was at, at the minimum a very good defensive catcher, <coughs> which justified why he was in the lineup so often. And then you have just the overall, hey, these past couple years, he's been shaky. There's there's some frustration with the pitchers and whatnot. They don't like how he catches him and what have you. He did hit a bomb in spring training the other day, which was nice to see. What if he's just bad? Now, I will say, it will be hard to be worse in, as an overall output, if you want to look at F4, than Austin Ola was last year. He, I believe he was actually negative in that department. But... Basically, this all boils down to my fear that this guy has been up and down way too much and that maybe the Padres ruined him or maybe they know something. It's totally possible that one of the things that I was so excited about with the Juan Soto trade and just the trade deadline in general last year is they did manage to at least keep Luis Campizano. I did like that because I thought that catcher was the most uh, up-in-the-air position for the Padres last year, and they kept him, and that's great. But it is still a fear of mine. What if he comes in, pitchers don't get along with him, what if he hits like 230, has a 290 on base or something like that, right? Doesn't The power doesn't manifest in the higher levels. I don't think that there's necessarily hardcore evidence of this. I truly do believe that he hasn't gotten a fair shot. But still, it makes you wonder, what if he's bad? And if that were to be the case, then that catching position will become a problem because it's not like there's an easy way to acquire a catcher. And one of the guys that has the most like roster flexibility, especially financially for the Padres to be able to move around, and have some up-and-coming guys, this guy being a miss would be really unfortunate because it's that one extra layer, one extra piece of this team that if they're able to hit, at least get someone who's okay. If he can be as good as, not even Cal Raleigh, but say a, a Christian Vasquez, right, in terms of overall output like of the now Minnesota Twins, that would be great. But it is a fear of mine. What if, Austin, what if Luis Capizano just isn't any good and there's a reason why they've kept him down all this time? So that's one of my fears. The second fear that I want to talk about, just real low quickly, is a fun one. Is a fun one because, actually, you know what? It's not really a fun one now that I think about it. Yeah, it's not great. It's not great. One, two, three, four, five. Okay. All right, all right. The second one is also a little bit obvious. It's something that I've talked about a lot, but it's just the rotation and whether or not the back of the San Diego Padres rotation just flops entirely. Um, part of me was just tempted to say, I wanted to avoid saying health for the rotation because that's a concern for every team and that's no fun. And I want you guys to have fun listening to this and watching this podcast. It's no fun. I understand. Don't get me wrong. In fairness, the Padres, I've said this many times, had a lot of luck last year in terms of, you know, health. Musgrove was healthy the whole year. Blake Snell, aside from a bad snap at the beginning, was healthy the whole year for better or worse. Um, uh, Sean Mania was super healthy last year. Um, and then you just, for the most part, the rotation was healthy. And the bullpen stayed relatively healthy. I know that they had the Drew Pomerantz situation, but for the most part, they were pretty good in that department. So health is certainly a risk, but it is a possibility with every team that isn't supremely loaded, like, say, some of those Dodgers teams were like, heck, even maybe this Dodgers team. I mean, you saw what happened last year. They lost Walker Buehler, and it didn't matter. That guy's a Cy Young contender, and it just didn't matter, right? That's how much depth the Los Angeles Dodgers have. But for the most part, that's the case with every team. For me, the back of the rotation could be interesting, and it actually has to do with another fear of mine heading into this season that we're going to talk about in a little bit. But for me, one of the scary parts here is, you know, just 
can they make it through a full season? You have the three starters. You have Musgrove, you have Snell, you have Darvish. If anything were to happen to any of those guys, and we've already had, had an injury happen to Joe Musgrove with the weight room incident and his, his, his fractured toe, which hopefully only keeps him out at most for maybe opening series or anything like that. But if something were to happen to more of their guys, I think things get a lot more interesting because I think that, yes, it's fun that, that we have a little pitching battle to keep an eye on with Jay Groom, with Adrian Morejon, with Ryan Weathers. Don't get me wrong, but there's a scenario in which we see 2021 repeated. You know what I mean? And don't get me wrong, Darvish also was a little bit messy that year. Musgrove was the only steady kind of pitcher for the most part in that second half. But you could see a, a repeat where all of a sudden Julio Tehran's getting called up. And don't get me wrong, I've talked about on this show that maybe Julio Tehran makes the team, but I'm not exactly expecting a lot from him. It's totally possible that the Padres find themselves in a situation similar to 2021. And you don't want that. You don't want the team to be out here looking for spare pitchers, having to sign, uh, I don't even know, who's a free agent pitcher right now? CC Sabathia. I mean, he's retired, but you get my point, right? Like these older guys that are just all big names and whatnot. Hey, remember when the Padres signed Robinson Cano? <laughs> remember that? This is a team that doesn't necessarily always have a good track record of finding easy replacements for players that have been lost. And as you saw there, as you saw with the Jake Arrieta thing, the Vincent Velasquez thing, and then Robinson Cano, uh, you know, not always the best there. So, that would be a fear of mine. Just the overall back of the rotation. If anything were to happen, if it doesn't go well, if Michael Walker's season last year really was inflated by some bad ball luck and being on a team that, you know, tightened up its defense in certain areas last year, then that could be a problem for the Padres for sure. You know, you don't want to recruit the wrong folks. You know what else can really help, though, when it comes to recruiting people? A little website called LinkedIn, ladies and gentlemen. The days of, you know, hiring without any information, you, you just, you can't live like that, man. I don't know if that ever was a, an era of hiring people without information, but just stick with me on this. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager, man, especially for your small businesses. You don't, you don't want to take any chances. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available, and that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs to find the right people for your team faster and for free. Yeah, you like those words, right? Free is awesome, and I love it very much. Mm. Let me tell you, it's awesome. Um, but here's one thing that's great about LinkedIn Jobs. You add to your job, first of all, before we get to that, you add to your job this purple hashtag thing, you know, if for people who are on the, the looking for work side of things, it's usually a green thing. Well, they've got it for a purple thing that lets um, people know that you're hiring. And then there's all these simple tools that you get, like screening questions that make it easy to focus on candidates with the right skills and experience. You can quickly prioritize questions and you know schedule interview times and then make the hire. You know, hopefully it's a great one and LinkedIn Jobs is gonna help you with that. And it's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. And here's the thing. Oh, here you ready for this? Oh, you're ready for this, guys? LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster, and you can post your job for free at LinkedIn.com. That's right, for free at LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnMLB. That's LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnMLB to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And we're back, everybody, talking 
about some nonsense, talking about fears. Ooh, I'm like I'm like Scarecrow from the Batman right now. I'm spraying the gas on all of you and making you see the greatest fears. Or maybe I'm spraying it on myself. I don't know how that exactly works. But number three on kind of my biggest fears for the Padres uh, for this year. So far, we talked about the back of the rotation, that if it flops, if Michael Waka isn't any good, and then all of a sudden you have Jake Arrieta situation again, right? It's a long season, and this stuff matters, especially in a division that's really, really tight. As a bonus thing, I am worried about how good the NL West secretly might be. We also talked about um, Luis Campizano and if he might just be bad. But now we get into the fun ones, ladies and gentlemen. Now we get into the fun ones. If the Padres, if there's one thing about them, and this was talked, I talked about this with my buddy Ben Kaspik a while ago, or two weeks ago. Have they made too many, are they counting on too many positional changes for this year's team? Now, I am not saying specific players can't play a different position. It's just that, you know, I've watched a good amount of baseball in my way, in my years, my way. Uh, I don't remember the last time there was this many players that were being asked to handle different positions. And Ben Kaspik brought this up on our show a couple weeks ago, and I thought it was a great point. It is Hassan Kim coming off of a Gold Glove nominated season. He's going to second base, and Xander Bogart's going to shortstop. I get it. That's cool. Then you've got um, Jake Cronenworth going to first base. That's a whole situation. Has he played first base before? Yes. Has he excelled there? Been a little bit up and down, but it's also a small sample size. And he's played second base, and he has experience playing shortstop as well in college especially. But still, that is a a significant change that should be brought up. How is that going to look like for the whole season? What will that do to his overall mindset? What will that do for him at the plate? Because first basemen, we're usually used to them being like these super, super home run bats. Jake Cronenworth is not that. Although I do think there's... Potential bounce back for Jake Cronenworth to, at best, hit maybe 20 bombs. It's not impossible, I don't think, for for Jake, or should I say Jacob Cronenworth. Uh, I forgot about that. That came out to thanks to Andy Helberg the other day. Shouts there. Um, that's some wild information that I just never knew that he was called Jacob. Um, and then you have in the outfield, obviously you're going to have Trent Christian, which is great in center field. In terms of defensive alignment, that's great. But then you have Juan Soto apparently moving to left field, which... Granted, hopefully it's just not as bad as his right field has been the past uh, season, right? He was literally in the bottom first percentile and outs above average, somehow got nominated for a gold glove, which, by the way, shows you, along with, of course, as we've talked about many times on this show, the ground ball gremlin and his gold glove awards, that not a great barometer for judging defense. It is a great barometer for judging who's popular and who might have had a couple really awesome plays you know, like Derek Jeter back in the day. But overall, it's not a great barometer for it. And then you have Fernando Tatis Jr. in right field, potentially. Maybe they'll switch him and Soto. It's totally possible. But that's a fair thing to bring up. Those are new positions for those guys. If you want to bring up maybe Matt Carpenter, is he going to be in right field sometimes? Is it going to be a DH? Is it going to be left field? That's totally fine. But more so, I'm more worried about those two because Tatis, he's had a couple clips one that went viral of him misjudging a fly ball. And then, of course, nobody mentioned that he made a diving catch, which is fine. Again, I think that Tatis is um, less than ideal defense does get extrapolated and exaggerated a little bit too much. I think that he has shown that he's a really shaky defender, but people like to mock him a little bit too much. I mean, this is a guy that can put up a seven war despite having a shaky defense. Corey Seager, much worse. There are other worse shortstops out there. That's all I'm saying uh, defensively. 
Um, Xander Bogarts, pre-last year, was one of them. We're going to talk about him in a second, too. Um, And then, forget the defensive stuff, Seth Lugo. He is going from being a pretty effective reliever to now being, allegedly, a starter for this team. I don't know how long that experiment is going to go. They didn't pay him necessarily like he's a superstar starter. Something tells me that this might be just some mumbo-jumbo, and by the time we get into maybe two weeks into the season, he's going to be a bullpen guy, or he's going to be one of those starters, the piggyback thing, where maybe it's him and Martinez in that fifth spot combined, right? Something like that. It's totally possible, but that's a new role change. So this all coalesces into just me believing overall. I know you have Manny. I know you have Xander. But that's a lot of new positions. And I'm not saying they'll be bad. I have full confidence that a lot of these guys can figure it out. They're professional athletes. They're super-duper talented, including the Goober, right? Super, super talented. But just in terms of, again, a fear is what if we log on a month and a half from now and aside from Manny, like, all the defense is pretty rough, right? It's not impossible. And Manny and Trent Christian, I should say. It's not inconceivable, that were like, wow, the Padres assembled this team a little bit too much like a fantasy baseball team and didn't take into account what is everybody most familiar with. You know what I mean? Totally possible. Then then you start having me, the idiot, logging on and saying, see, I told you they should have signed Michael Conforto and they should have kept uh, Hassan Kim at shortstop. That's what they should have done. I won't actually do that. I might as a bit, but that's a, a fear of mine for the Padres heading into this next year. Another fear of mine that we got to talk about. Mm-mm-mm. Oh, doctor. Oh, doctor. Let's say things go wrong, right? Let's say the positional changes, Campizano, the back of the rotation, all this stuff. What if, what if, hear me out, ladies and gentlemen. Let's say that the team is just less than ideal. Let's say they look like what they were in 2021, which is a competitive team, but not a world beater. They're going to win 100 games team. I would be a little bit scared if the Padres potentially make some desperation trades at the deadline, and namely a desperation trade that involves Jackson Merrill, the team's top prospect. Now, there's a couple things with this. Number one, I know some people might be thinking, well, he's a shortstop, and we, we already got that one. We got we got Xander, and we got that. Look, positional changes can happen. Maybe he can move to second base, right? That's totally possible. Maybe Hassan Kim gets moved, Whatever. Whatever. I just really think that it needs to be emphasized that you don't want to keep an entire team together like this. This isn't the NBA, where when you hear that you have a core for another four years or whatever, like you got with the Cleveland Cavaliers, where they have you know Donovan Mitchell, Evan Mobley, Darius Garland, Jared Allen, that they've got all four of those guys kind of locked down and they're young and they're going to get better, right? That's great, but for the for baseball, I am always just a pro. Uh, a proponent of just having flexibility, you know? And to me, to me, I think that trading Jackson Merrill would get rid of one of the team's greatest flexibilities. It would get rid of one of those last bullets in the chamber. And don't get me wrong, I know that I've talked about as well that the Padres have done a really good job at kind of overall just retooling, reloading their farm system. Every time you think they're out, from the days of trading Trey Turner away, which ended up being a mistake, still love you, Will, um, to the days of trading Mike Clevenger for uh, away and trading Austin Nola and or trading for Austin Nola and giving up Ty France, which was really rough. Andres Muniz, 
they deserve a lot of credit for still being able to retool and still get enough to go out there and make more moves to go out and make the Juan Soto and the Brandon Jury and the Josh Bell trades. Like that's crazy. But I would really not like that because Jackson Merrill, you want to have a couple guys. If Luis Campuzano hits, you want to be able to say, all right, we've got the Mount Crushmore. Let's say theoretically they extend Soto. You've got Mount Crushmore. You've got Darvish and Musgrove. Maybe if they bring in Hayter too and Robert Suarez, that's a pricey, pricey group. But then you can help balance it out with your Grishams, with your Jake Cronenworths. And if he comes up, let's say in a, a year or two, and he's a pretty solid player, if Jackson Merrill turns out to be great, that's what I would love. I don't want a desperation trade to happen. In fact, I just really don't think they should be making those trades in general. You got to keep the farm at least a little bit just for flexibility. And I know what you're thinking. I know you listeners and viewers. But last time everyone yelled at me about not wanting to trade prospects, you know what times those were? Joey Gallo with Merrifield. And in terms of signing and giving a guy a huge contract, Nick Castellanos. Yes, I have screenshots of those moments and people commenting and being like, well, what, what are you talking about? Go now. We got to go for it. You got to sign the big talent. You don't know what's going to unfold. I like having that in the chamber. And the Padres have stars. You do not need to assemble this team like it is fancy baseball and only start looking at stars. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to sit here and say if Corbin Burns comes available at the deadline and they want Jackson Merrill and Hassan Kim that I'm going to say that that's an awful move. I'm not. I'm just saying desperation trades for guys like that and giving up your kind of your, your, your depth. I'm just not a fan of that. I, I'm really not, especially for a team that has its stars. If all the Padres had right now was Manny Machado, I'd be like, all right, let's do this because clearly we need some more stars on this team. But that's not the case. You have the, the Ted Williams reincarnated. You have Ken Griffey Jr. reincarnated. And then you've got Xander Bogarts, who's like better Jeter, almost like that. You know what I mean? Like that. So it's not like they don't have stars. So that's my take. Don't want a desperation trade, and especially a desperation trade that's just for average decent players that might become available. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I, I can't think of one right now, but say, like, your Jordan Montgomery types, solid player, but if I hear them try, trying to blow up their farm and stuff for a guy like that, and I don't think he'd become available. He's on the Cardinals. But people of that caliber, good players, but not great ones that will necessarily completely turn around your team, especially if the nightmare scenario comes true. Ladies and gentlemen, we have one more to discuss. One more fear for the 2023 Padres, and it's one that hurts me, man. It hurts. It hurts. And arguably my biggest fear, the first year slump for Xander Bogarts. Now, I know what you're thinking. Whoa, 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 whoa. You have been telling us this is the most consistent player in the game. I have. And in terms of kind of his peripheral stats and just looking at baseball savant, it's not like there's that much crazy stuff. Yes, his hard hit rate was in the 47th percentile. That's not great. But, you know, it's it's still around his career norm. It's not like a giant dip. You know, it's still, you know, around there and whatnot. His career norm is 35.8. Last year it was 37.6. But you might be wondering, you know, he's been in the league for a while, maybe some wear and tear past couple years. He had a 39.5 hard hit rate percentage, then 43 the year before that in 2020. But even still... Aside from, what was it? Let me see. Uh, oh, no. Wow. I got, I sorry, guys. I got my numbers wrong. In 2022, it was 39.5. I can't read. I messed up. Uh, hold on. What? I can't even read baseball savant. Okay. 
bottom line is he still was around his hard hit percentage, like kind of his career average. Yes, his walk rate went down too. And yes, his exit velocity wasn't great. It was in the 35th percentile, and that went down from last year by quite a decent amount. 55th percentile the year before, 65th percentile in hard hit rate, expected batting average. All of his offensive stats were a lot better in 2021. Well, in 2022, he was just a really solid bat. And don't get me wrong, he's still a good player, and I'm still really excited to have him uh, play for the Padres. But another thing that should be brought up here is, hey, Manny Machado, I know we love him. Manny Machado had a a poor first year. This is just something that sometimes happens, and it might be even inexplicable. And I'm not saying that, you know, every player that it's sometimes, say, maybe some people expected a Trevor Story, right, who ended up signing with the Red Sox, Everyone was worried about Coors Field. I personally, I was wrong on that a little bit. I thought Story was just going to be a guy that hit like 30 homers and it wouldn't matter what his batting average and on base was because he'd make it up with the defense. He was hurt. Maybe he'll be better. But no, I'm talking about Manny Machado was not great his first year with the Padres. In terms of F4, it was around the, let me see if I can pull it up right now. In terms of F4, it was not great uh, for Manny Machado. He didn't have the best defensive season of his career, certainly. And also, despite having a decent amount of power in his bat, really fumbled in the second half, just was not a great first year for the pride of San Diego, dare I say. I know he's from Miami, but you get my point. Um, Juan Soto was another one that, coming to the Padres, he went into a slump for a little bit. And last year wasn't as great for him. He finished it out strong, but for the most part, it wasn't like he had an incredible second half for the Padres. And then another example would be someone like Francisco Lindor. He ended up joining the National League. He went from American League to National League, and he's a shortstop as well, and his first year with the Mets was not great. It was helped a little bit, his F4, because of the fact that he's one of the best defenders in the game, but overall, he wasn't that great. By the way, yeah, Machado had a 2.2 F4 his first year with the Padres. Not great. Not great. I don't know what happened. It was weird. That's the thing about this. It's not like it's something that should be expected. I don't have all the numbers in the world. If you want to look at... You know, it's not like he's pulled the ball more last year. He hits a decent amount to all sides of the field. Um, it's it's nothing like that, right? It's not like he struggled against certain pitch, pitches. His whiff percentage didn't jump dramatically, really, in any you know kind of stat that I see, at least. Um, a little bit in terms of breaking pitches, but it's not enough to say that this guy is definitely destined, right? Trevor Story had more of a reason. But Francisco Lindor did not. And Francisco Lindor had a poor first year, and it was helped by the defense. And I'm wondering, Xander Bogarts has never been all that great of a defender. He's had a lot of years with a lot of negative defensive runs saved. And if you just want to look at the past few years, in 2021, he was in the bottom first percentile and outs above average. In 2020, he was in the 13th percentile. 2019, he was in the 4th percentile. In 2018, 25 percentile. And then 2017, he was okay, 73rd percentile. That was the last like kind of good one that he had um, in terms of as far as baseball savant's been tracking outs above average. And then, so you have those four bad years, and then last year in the 88th percentile in terms of defense, despite not having the best arm strength in the world and whatnot. So he was good last year defensively, and that's what gave him the best F4 um, total of his career. But in a contract year, you might be wondering that. I would love if Xander Bogarts has a Francisco Lindor first-year type thing where the offense isn't great. This is a guy who maybe hits 250, 340 on base, hits like 15 home runs. That That's kind of like a worst-case scenario. But if he helps it out and this really pans out over the course of a full season, 
if he helps out with really good defense from last year and he proves, no, last year wasn't just a contract year thing, I'm a great defender, that would be awesome. Like, that would be, like, if that's the worst that happens to him, we might be in for something special with Xander Bogarts that we don't realize in terms of his full tenure as a Padre. But if not, it could be rough, and it could make everyone say, oh, Mount Crushmore. And I am dreading, oh, Lord, I am going to bring back, for longtime listeners, the Joker-era Javi. If Xander Bogarts doesn't have a good year or he's struggling and you get all these pundits on here talking about how the Padres spent their money irresponsibly, I'm going to lose my mind. Lose my mind. Because I know that's what, the, I know these people, man. I know that's what they're going to do. They're going to talk about, hey, but you just can't build a team like that. You know what I mean? Like, the, think the end of Moneyball when you're hearing all the people say, you can't reinvent this game. Think of that, except it's the other way around, where they're like, the Padres just kept spending money and they didn't think about building a team overall, like the Rays. <laughs> that, that's when you'll get the Joker. You know what I mean? That's, oh! Like, that's when you'll get that back for me. I have the clown hat somewhere. I will bring it out if that happens. But that's one of my fears, is just overall, what if Xander Bogarts has a down year? Um, I don't think that that is an indictment of his future with the Padres. I think this could just be a first-year down-year thing. Uh, Justin Upton, when he went to the Angels, he had a bad year. Or I think it was with the Detroit Tigers. I don't know why I always think of Justin Upton when I'm thinking of like player older players. I don't know why I always think of that. But if that were to happen, hey, it's just worth pointing out. It's worth pointing out that... Last year, he also didn't hit for a lot of power, only 15 home runs, and this was not a ballpark thing. He actually, in terms of the expected home runs, uh, most other ballparks had him at a lower total amount, um, and it was significantly less. So the power stuff is a question with Xander Bogarts. I think he could still be a solid hitter, though. I think that my 250-340 on base thing was a little bit unfair because I think overall he's just a hitter's hitter. and He's been consistent, but I'm just saying for reasons that are not easy for an idiot like me, and for most, no surface-level stats that we can see, he might just have an off year. And that's a big fear of mine, especially because, again, if the pundits start talking about it, it's going to drive me insane. So let's repeat it one more time, ladies and gentlemen. My five biggest concerns for the San Diego Padres heading into 2023, until I eventually think of some more, are that Luis Campizano might just be bad, the back of the rotation is a mess, and that Michael Waka isn't all that great of a salvaging piece. There's too many positional changes, and that guys do not adapt to their new positions, whether it be defense or in the case of Seth Lugo as a starting pitcher. A desperation trade of Jackson Merrill at the deadline or any time before that, uh, when the team isn't performing that well for average players to try and salvage the season. You know, similar to, say, the Adam Frazier deal, right? That's a little bit of a decent comp. Granted, Merrill was a little bit higher than the guys the Padres gave up, but still, that's kind of the comp I'm looking at. And then lastly, if Mr. Xander Bogarts has that first-year slump that we see from star players and I compare it to the first-year slump of Francisco Lindor, one of my favorite players of baseball. So those are what they are, ladies and gentlemen. Those are what they are. Boom! And with that all being said, ladies and gentlemen, that about does it for today's edition of the Lockdown Padres podcast, the only pod that may be better than the Padres themselves. Remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Going to be talking with my boy Ryland Styles, hopefully on tomorrow's show about our kind of our weekly general baseball talk. Going to be doing that. Going to be talking about Hassan Kim in the future. That should be a lot of fun. Still planning on having a chat with my buddy Mark on baseball economics and whatnot and whether or not, you know, what's going on with this baseball tax committee and whatnot. You know, we're going to be doing that. 
We're going to be talking about old Padres targets, potential trade deadline targets for this year. Whenever Jeff Snyder, the Snydog, please tweet at him, host of Lockdown Dodgers, stops ignoring me. He can come on the podcast for a little bit of a crossover, um, all sorts of stuff. And maybe for just a little bit of fun, do a little tail of the tape, May Machado versus Nolan Arenado. Maybe uh, where does Tatis rank among all the best players in baseball? There's a lot of fun stuff we're going to be doing. And then we've got the World Baseball Classic. So stay locked in, everybody, wherever you get your podcast, Locked On Padres. And until next time, stay safe and, of course, stay faithful. My fire faithful homies, take care.